Um, it is a sad Sunday, as Ian said, but it is a, it's a great Sunday as well. Our Lord reigns, and uh, He's come to meet with us in His Word. Um, I'm going to get us right into it this morning, because as usual, I, I tend to have a lot for you guys. Uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. We're going to read the same text we've been reading for the past two weeks now. Uh, we're in that series entitled uh, Christ and Him Crucified. This is now the third message in that series. Um, I'm going to work with Donald to get some of those messages up in case you've missed them because they are kind of building on one another and I hope that uh, they've been blessing you. So let's uh, get to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. We'll read down to verse 2 of chapter 2 and then I'll, I'll pray to get us started. says this, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's pray. It might look just like an ordinary Sunday. Chairs are lined up, lights are on, friends are here. 
might not be able to discern with our eye, God, what it is that is about to happen. That when we open up your word and your spirit falls, we are made new. We meet with the living God. This is so much more than a mere Bible study. I pray, God, that you would come in this room. You're the one. You're the one that everyone is here to meet, whether they know it or not. You're the one that everyone here needs desperately, like water in the desert. And so we pray, Jesus, would you come? Would you help me just to be a conduit of your word and your grace? Don't let me get in the way. May I be weak so that you can be strong. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Last week, we uh, closed by actually looking at uh, verse 30 there in chapter 1. And I highlighted for us the preeminence of union that you see there. I want to look at it again. The preeminence of union with Christ. The priority that Paul in that verse gives to being in Christ. It says this, Because of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All the benefits of salvation flow from Christ as their source. We have to be in Him if we are to receive the benefits of that salvation. But now, I want to press deeper into this and ask... Central question that will get us started this morning. How do we get in to Him? How, in other words, did you and I get saved? Last week, I feel like I was only able to focus on half the story. I talked about things like God brings us to the end of ourselves so that He can bring us into His Son. I talked about how where the old humanity ends, the new humanity begins. I talked about how God is after conquering our pride in such a way that what we once esteemed as our own wisdom and strength, we now see as foolishness and weakness so that we are able to see the cross, which we once called foolishness and weakness, now as the wisdom and power of God to save. Like Nebuchadnezzar, like the prodigal son, God breaks us down so that we might be built up in Him. That's last week's message. That's half the story how we got into Christ, how we got saved. Let me 
give you an illustration, something that happened. The first week I was here when I was a bachelor, my wife and kids were in Sacramento, and hopefully this will, this will make some sense for you, give you, give you an image for what I'm, what I'm about to do here. I was, uh, I can't remember where I was, probably a coffee shop studying or something, and I guess the power went out on my block. No idea why. East Coast, you knew why, because there were thunderstorms and things. Here it just went out for, I'm not sure. <laughs> Never did find out. Maybe it was too hot, I'm not sure. And uh, I come home, it's like 8 o'clock at night, no power. So I do what any good bachelor would do. I don't have a car at this point either. I bike to In-N-Out. Okay, I've been in these, there are no In-N-Outs over there. You don't understand how important that is for me. First week in California, I, I was looking for every excuse I could to get over there. So, okay, no power, can't cook, let's go. I come back after that, it's probably about 10 o'clock now at night, and I'm riding my bike in, I'm thinking, okay, surely the, the power's on, I wanted to do some reading and, and, and studying and things. Power's still off, as I, as I turn down the street, the, the, the street lights and things are, 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 are all dark. And I must admit, initially I was a little frustrated, I go, what is the deal with this? There's no storm, there's no reason, what is, what is this? And then, everything changed. When I looked up, and I saw the stars, I happen. I mean, my family will we'll go star watching. I mean, we love this sort of stuff. So I look up. Oh my goodness! It was breathtaking. The view you have of the stars when there are no lights around. And so I just went out in my backyard, laid out on the grass. wasn't sure if there were bugs or anything yet. It's a new house. Didn't think too much about it. Laid down, looked up. And just let the heavens preach. You know that verse in Psalm 19? The heavens declare the glory of God. Just let them preach. You're saying, what's the point? Sometimes, maybe all the time, God has to turn the lights out. Man-made lights with all their self-focused energy and their own cities, their little towers of Babel that keep them all distracted and focused on themselves. Sometimes God just has to shut down the grid so that we catch a vision of who He is. And the stars come out. That's last week's message. We've got to be made fools before we can be made wise in Christ. But, 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 this is where this, this message begins. I fear that there could potentially be serious misunderstandings about how conversion, how, our, how we got saved from that sort of illustration. Because we might think, okay, you know what? I'm just a little distracted. I get a little self-focused. I just need a little help from God to, to, to see Him. So sometimes He has to kind of mess up my world, and then there He is. I can see just fine. Fundamentally, I'm okay. I just need a little help up here. Redirect my gaze, and then I'll be okay. But that is not the biblical story. That is not the biblical teaching. Get ready. The Bible's teaching about humanity is that we're not just merely distracted in need of redirection. We are blind. 
So he could turn off every light on every street in every city and I would not see any of his glory. Just darkness. The sinful nature is suicidal. Okay? Who we are by nature, suicidal, meaning we would follow our own wisdom and power to hell. All the way. We would dig our own graves while we thought we were building towers up to heaven. And God couldn't... Well, that's the right case to say that. He could stop us. But we would be dead set on it. Running our hell-bound race is a line from a song I love. Check it out from Romans 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to go quickly through it. But You remember when Paul's talking about the wrath that, of God that's revealed from heaven upon all men and it talks about how that men are in their sin, they've rejected Him, they've exchanged the Creator for the creature. And then it says, so God gave them over to their foolishness. And they start experiencing the penalty of their ways, even in themselves. He gave them over, it says in verse 24. But do they see in return to Him? No! So what does God do? He gives them over, verse 26. But do they see Him and return? No. So what does God do? He gives them over, verse 28. But do they see and return to Him? No. Suicidal. That's what this heart is about. Tragically, ironically, the lower we get, the more arrogant we become. Romans 1.21 For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Just darkness. That's the human condition. He could turn off the lights on my street And I would see no stars. So how then do the lights come on? How did Nebuchadnezzar's reason return to him so that he no longer cursed but blessed the Most High? How did the prodigal son come to himself so that he turned from the pods of pigs and went home to his father. How do the stars come out from behind the thick clouds of my spiritual consciousness so that I see in the cross the wisdom and power of God? How does that happen? Look with me. Verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1. Hopefully I'm not too intense here this morning. My apologies. It says this. We're going to read to verse 24. I want to answer that question. How, how did the lights come on? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, 
did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but, I just gave the answer away, (laughs) to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And there it is. The divine adversative. It shows up all over the place. Most famous, uh, uh, most famous, what is the word I'm looking for? Time that it does is in Ephesians 2, 4, I think. There have been whole sermons written on that, but here it is again. But to those who are called. God gets in the way of our hell-bound race and He calls from the Jews and from the Greeks and from the world and the nations men unto Himself. And we see and the cross just lights up for us like a sky full of stars. This calling establishes our union with Christ. I asked, how did we get into Him? That's the key for salvation, right? This calling actually establishes that union. If you look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, it says this, God is faithful by whom you were called. Where? Where were we called? Into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're called into Him. And this makes sense now going back to verse 30 of how that verse even begins. It says, because of Him, who? God. Because of Him you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God and His call, you are in Christ Jesus. That's how we got saved. That's how we got united to the one who is risen. So, we are not merely distracted in need of a little redirection. We're not merely ignorant in need of a little instruction. We're not merely sick in need of a little medicine. At the bottom, we are dead in need of a resurrection. So last week we focused on God's mercy in reducing us to a heap of stones covering bones. We have to see that our own wisdom and foolish and power are foolishness and weakness. But that's not the most decisive, the most fundamental point. That's what we're focusing on here. The call of Almighty God to those bones rise and live and see. Okay? So, we're going to look now then at the calling of the cross, and I will attempt to first understand God's call with you, second, illustrate His call, and then third, we'll spend a few moments applying it at the end. Okay? Now, the way I'm reading Paul... There in verse 24, but to those who are called, the way I'm reading this, this, this calling <laughs> makes everything hinge upon it. 
Okay? Whether you're in the first Adam or the last Adam, whether you're heading towards condemnation or glory, whether you're heading towards hell or the new heavens and new earth, death or life, it all hinges on calling. But to those who are called. So this isn't just a mere word study. To break out your concordance and let's do a few little intellectual exercises. This is life and death. Everything hangs here for yours and my life. What does he mean by calling? Now, though I've opened with such conviction, I'm aware that there are plenty of people who might not be convinced. And maybe I've run ahead of myself here. I want to back up. I want to ask, what is this Calling. I think when we hear that word, but to those who are called, the more intuitive, the more natural reading, the way we would understand at least that translation, would be to say, okay, it's more like a divine invitation. You've probably heard this. It's more like God saying, hey, I've done something great on the cross. Anyone who wills, come and partake. It's a divine invitation requiring my will in response. I've got to size it up and see, does that look right? Yes. Now, um, in defense of that, it's interesting, in, in this epistle, Paul does use the Greek word that's translated called here in our text later, and it's translated, because it can mean invitation. It says this, if in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, if one of the unbelievers invites, kaleo, call, invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go and you will to go, eat whatever's set before you. I call you, if you will, you will come. Invitation. Is that what Paul means back in 1 Corinthians 1 of this call from God to the Jews and the Greeks? Or is it something more? The interpretation that this is just merely divine invitation might be more palatable to our natural sensibilities. It sounds nicer. They say, okay, I, I, yeah, 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 I come to Christ. That makes total sense. He invites and I come, and it sounds good. But, and this is why we're going to have our nose in the Scriptures this morning, because I, I don't want you fighting with me. You've got to fight with Paul on this. But if we receive that interpretation of this call in 1 Corinthians 1, it devastates the whole flow of Paul's thought and argument. It just makes the whole thing nonsensical. So, let's trace it together. I want to look at his thought, okay? And I know we're going into texts we've been in, but this time we have a different angle. So, come with me. I said, what is this call? First, there in verse 21, we see that Paul shows that the plan, that this is the plan of God. We're going to see here the plan of God as he's constructing the way of salvation. And what does he say? In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. What does that mean? God constructs salvation in such a way 
that man can't look at himself and say, I figured it out. His wisdom can't get him there. And God designed the cross and the way of salvation to bring that reality out. In God's wisdom, he created a way of salvation so that man couldn't know him through his own wisdom. So if we at this point say, it's just divine invitation, and for those who are wise enough to see in the cross the glory and power and wisdom of God, they come, we completely destroy what God said, what Paul says God is doing when he's constructing the way of salvation. No one would see anything wise and powerful in a condemned criminal dying on a cross. No one. It's a miracle. We might think not so much of it because it's gained traction in our culture. And the gospel and things can even have its own, you know, subcultures like in the South and things where it's just a norm. But this message would have never taken traction in history were it not for the intervention of God on man's fallen nature, giving him eyes to see. Let's continue to follow Paul here because he then proves and personalizes his argument by having the Corinthians consider their own calling. Let's go. Verse 26 says this. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. We don't want to see ourselves on that list, but we're there. The foolish, the weak, the nobodies. And notice how God's calling, consider your calling, brothers, correlates with His choosing. He chose you, and His choosing correlates with His plan. In other words, He chooses the weak and the foolish and the nobodies so that when they get saved, no one can say, oh, they did it. So this calling isn't a mere invitation, it's a choosing. And that choosing is done, directed towards a goal. And that's what we see finally in verse 29. It says this. We'll read to verse 31. So that, here's the goal of all of this, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So the goal that, that Paul is heading towards is to silence man's boasting with reference to himself and unleash his boasting with reference to God. And we've said it before that it is man's stubborn impulse to self-save, to pull himself up. I will be God on my own terms. That is the essence of his problem. And let me tell you something. If this calling were a mere invitation, it would not sever the root of this pride. It would nourish it. 
I came to Him. My wisdom, I saw the stars. The only way to get to the ultimate aim of verse 31 that we would boast, not in man, but in God, is to receive the fact that this call, this call came to a dead man and opened eyes. That's how we got saved. This doctrine of God's sovereign election, effectual calling, is the final blow to the last twitchings of man's fallen nature. It's the last blow. He could take me real low, but then I saw... No. He reduced us pile of bones. And he said to the bones... In his mercy. (laughs) Now, perhaps nothing more devastating could be said about humanity than that which Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Go there, please. Doesn't get much clearer than this. Hope you know I'm doing this for your joy. I hope you know that insofar as you want to hold on to some little shred of your own abilities and and, and, and power and, and, and... Pride, you actually undercut your ability to rejoice and give thanks and, and glory in this salvation that is all of grace and none of you. But oh, Paul has some crazy things to say. Chapter 2, verse 14 says this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Doesn't. They are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We're getting to the deepest issue here in plainest language. It is not, oh, the the Jews and the Greeks had some issues culturally or ethnically. It is human beings in general, by nature, can't get it. They can't get it. It's just foolishness. The implications here are, I was just astounded as I thought about this text and what it's saying. Because the natural person cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God They are spiritually discerned. Meaning, if I am to accept the cross, the things that need to be spiritually discerned, I need the Spirit. (laughs) I can't see it if I'm left to myself. I need the Spirit to open my eyes. We must first have the Spirit of God before we can accept the things of God. We must first be given the mind of Christ, verse 16, before we can receive the cross of Christ and the things freely given to us. In other words, as Paul says it, sums it up in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He's got to be here. He's got to be on me. He's got to raise me from the dead before I'll say anyone other than myself is Lord. Check this out. This is very cool. (laughs) P. 
people think that perhaps behind uh, this verse in chapter 12, verse 3, is actually that, that verse that Peter quotes in Pentecost, uh, Joel 2.32, where it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've heard that? Remember Peter saying that to the people? And he stops there. He stops the quote right there. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And that is true. That is true. But go to Joel. Look at the context. Verse 32. You could do it now. You could do it later. Sorry if I'm going fast. It says this. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter stops there. We keep reading. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be who? Those whom the Lord calls. In other words, there is a calling that's below. It undergirds, it initiates our calling. We are called by Him and that call initiates the newborn cry. The Abba Father cry that we're told in Romans and Galatians comes how? By the spirit of adoption. Our calling on Him as Lord is initiated by His calling of us. So, what we have then in Paul's discussion of God's calling in 1 Corinthians 1 is not mere divine invitation. It is divine intervention. It is Him coming in to a dead and darkened people and bringing them to life by virtue of Christ's resurrection life. My sins paid for. New life possible for me because of Him. Brought into Christ. And we have justification, sanctification, redemption. This calling is much more like the calling of creation in Genesis 1, where God calls forth things that didn't exist into existence, Paul tells us in Romans 4. It's much more like that than it is the call to a dinner party. It's the call of a new creation. Your conversion is a new creation. Hence, the new birth, born again. Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul here is connecting your call the way you saw, the way the stars came out in the cross of Christ for you. He's connecting that with when God said, let there be light back in Genesis 1-3. That's the kind of call Paul is discussing in 1 Corinthians 1. It's the creation call, the the call over the things that are formless and void and the, 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 the deep and the darkness that was over it. We, we were the formless and the void. That's what Paul is saying. We, we were the darkness covering the deep. 
We were those bones in Ezekiel 37. Dead in our transgressions and sins, Paul would say. And the Spirit of God, back in Genesis 1, now here over our life, hovers over us in His mercy. And the Word of God comes forth through the preaching of the cross. God says, just like He did to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Nick, Steve, Josie, Josh, come out. And the Word and the Spirit meet with recreative impact. And here's what your conversion is likened to. It says that we are given new heart. That the heart of stone starts to beat. It says that these deaf ears suddenly hear the voice of the Son of God calling to us, My sheep, they know my voice. Come out! It says these eyes, blind, see. Second Corinthians 5.17 It's no wonder this is in the flow of Paul's argument there in 2 Corinthians 4. He is talking about creation and he climaxes with a statement in chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, consider with me for a moment Paul's conversion, Paul's calling. Because it's, it's, it's no wonder he sees it the way he does. This is his story. This is his story. And in fact, up in 1 Corinthians 1.1, his calling is actually the first one referenced even before the Corinthians. It says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Paul's call helps him understand how calling even happens. And it's no wonder that he saw God's call as divine intervention. Because we're told in Acts 9 that he is pursuing the believers, the disciples. He thinks they're heretics and he's breathing threats and murder against them and pursuing them. And what? God, Jesus, intervenes. There's no, hey, Paul, if you, if you think about it, come back to me, it'll be great. As he's gone. It's get on your face. You are mine. I've appointed you as an instrument to the nations. It's divine intervention for Paul. It's new creation for Paul. No wonder he's thinking about creation and let there be light because we are told that when he was saved, even though it was the noonday, it was, it was when the sun was hottest in the sky, so there was a light that just overwhelmed the glory of the sun when the S-O-N, the son of all sons, revealed himself. To him. And the only response was to cover his eyes and fall. Now, check this out. This is 
in light of where we've been and what I've talked about with the inversion that happened in Adam, that the fall was also the flip. This is crazy. Look at this. When we compare Adam with Paul, what do we see? As Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, Genesis 3-7, they ate the fruit and it says their eyes were opened. Ironically, their eyes were opened on the day they went blind to God. For Paul, what do we see? Paul goes blind on the day his eyes were opened to Christ. It says in 9-8, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And then three days later, what happens? Ananias sent to him, pray, something like scales fall from his eyes and everything changed for him. He had to be shown he was a fool. He was blind. He was dead before he could truly see. And then when he saw the cross that was once a scandal to him becomes his only glory. And the whole point of his existence, I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about the cross now. Because his eyes have been opened, new creation in Christ. And this is our story. This is our story. If there is faith beating in this heart, there was a Lazarus Damascus moment in my life. It's the only way sinners are born again. Divine mercy, sovereign call into the Son. That's the meaning of the word church, in case you didn't know that. I don't think you're here, but very interesting. Um, if you look in the Greek, it's a compound word. The essence, the essence would be out from called ones. It's the same word we've been looking at. Calling is right there in ecclesia, in the church. It's those who have been called out. We are those who have been called out from the fallen world in Adam and called into the new world in the Son, initiated by His resurrection. That's who we are. This is our story. So, what do we do with it? What do we do with this revelation? How should it affect us? Essentially, that's what the next two or three messages is going to be about. So if you feel like I'm I'm very light on application, a lot of applications coming. Because Paul is front-loading this theology in the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians because he's going after all sorts of things that he wants the church to, to learn and grow in later in the letter. But it's all built on this. It's all built on this. If I were to give us one application point for this morning, how should this affect me this week? This calling, this this mercy of God that brought forth a dead man who would have gone all the way down to hell of his own initiative but was saved and brought out. How should that affect us? In a word, I give thanks to my God always. That's Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. Read why. 
why does he give thanks? We're just going to read verse 4 and then skip to 8 and 9. It says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Down to verse 8. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This grace, this calling, elicits, accords with gratitude. There is no other way to respond to the revelation of His grace. There is nothing in me. He did what I could never do. My sins were a veil before my face, scales over my eyes. And He said, see, I can't see if He doesn't. The great physician doesn't change me. And He did this for us. Grace elicits accords with gratitude. You want to be a thankful person, stand in awe of what God did for you on the cross and how He brought you into it and where He is taking you. I mean, that's verses 8 and 9. Check it out. If God initiated this salvation, you cannot abort it. He who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion. This is not of your own doing. This is Him. And that's why Paul says there that, listen, He will sustain you to the end, guiltless. He will keep you in the Son from whom all the benefits flow. God is faithful. This is rooted in Him. He has called you. So give thanks to Him. All of life, all of life is now Working for your good. I mean, have you ever noticed that? Romans 8, 28, verse we all love to quote. What's the basis? All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now all of life is thanksgiving because all of life is grace and good for me and you. Amen? Jesus, there's only one real response to all of this. And it's again ironic and, and intriguing because as we fall down on our faces like Paul, we are simultaneously lifted up above all the kings of the world to be seated on your throne with you. The only proper response is to be humbled to the point of, of laying in the dust and yet at the same time to revel and be grateful for the way you've exalted us in your Son. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you have called us, even though we can give no grounds for it in ourselves. The only ground is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, bounding in love. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Guys, we're going to sing one final song.
if the home group leaders wouldn't mind, maybe we could have you come over to the side over there, if that's easier, um, so that people aren't up in the front feeling like a spectacle. But we do want to make uh, available to you prayer, guys. We want to pray for you. When I was a new believer, I'm not kidding you, every time they were up there, I was up there too. And if I wasn't the pastor here and feeling like other people needed opportunities, I'd be up there right now. We all need prayer. And if God's doing things in your heart, I encourage you, go receive prayer from uh, some of the leaders of our church. Lord, you have called us from the dead. Help us, Lord, to live as people made new this week. Help us to walk into the office, the living room, our neighborhood as a new humanity following after our Savior, the resurrected one. We want to be resurrected people in a fallen world, in it but not of it. Help us, God, this week to be grateful in a way that's intriguing and alluring to show people the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming, guys. Please feel free. Get your kids. Hang out if you would like. I'd love to talk to you. If I haven't met you, pray for you if you would like it. Um, we'll see you again next week. And don't forget the picnic for the Garcias, which is where again, I'm sorry? Right out back. Row right out back. You don't have to go very far. So we hope to see you there. Okay.